Beginning in September 1931, a family on a rural farmhouse in the Isle of Man began hearing various noises behind their farmhouse wooden panels. Though they began to sound like a ferret, a dog, or some various animal, they are blown away when the creature begins to speak plain English. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. And since we are twofering it, we ain't got any shout out, so we'll just jump in this some bitch. This case is 100% the first case of mystery, cryptozoology, whatever you want to say. This is the first case that I ever heard of in my entire life. When I was in sixth grade, I checked out a book from the middle school library. And it was like Time Life, you know, the Time Life books. And I just like stumbled to a random page. And this was the this was the exact story that I found. So this one right here is my. Uh, Patient zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's my entry into the world of mystery. 100%. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I believe it, 100%. Well, this case kind of got some new life breathed into it when Christopher Joseph uh, released a book in 2017 titled Jeff, The Strange Tale of an Extra Special Talking Mongoose. <laughs> and it centers around a man named James Irving and his wife, Margaret. And, and their daughter, Voidery. Voidery? Yeah, I believe so. Voidery. I'm not sure if we're saying that right, but that's what Pro- we're going to probably, prob- probably not. I mean, as much as we get angry at YouTube videos and other podcasts for mispronouncing shit, we're pretty good at mispronouncing shit. Yeah, ourselves. We butcher the English language. <laughs> <laughs> now, they would move into a, a Darlish caution in 1917, and Mr. Irving was a native of Liverpool. And had been a successful... That's what the bales are from. Mm-hmm. Rango and Paul and George and John. From Liverpool. We're from Liverpool. He had been a successful salesman for a Dominion organ and piano, but a change in fortunes decided that he needed a change in careers. And after he failed in the areas of engineering and property marketing... He decided with no prior experience that he was going to become a farmer. (laughs) He purchased an old stone house near the hamlet of Dalby and embarked on a new hard scrabble life on the Isle of Man. Which the Isle of Man, if you do not know, is an island in between Ireland and England or Great Britain, depending on, you know, I mean, Great Britain, there's like. Four four countries in that country. If you ever 
<laughs> if you ever watched Ted Lasso, how many countries are in this country? Four. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I know y'all have all seen the the picture of where Ireland and England meet, and they Ireland won't cut their grass past the sign. <laughs> cut your own damn grass, you English bastards. <laughs> <laughs> So Irvin was a amateur antiquarian, and well, 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 I mean, let's, we gotta tell them what we're drinking. Oh, man. I'm sorry, man. Sorry. We were lucky enough to procure some Newcastle Brown Ale in the can. In the Kazans? Yeah, we're we're highfalutin. <laughs> we are highfalutin. We thought it was very, very um, aristocratic, serendipitous, serendipitous. Yeah, we, you know, there's not much English beer in the states. Not much good English beer in the States. Let's get yeah, that right. Yeah, that's that's a that's a fact. So Okay. So with that little nugget out of the way. Oh, my bad, my bad. They purchased a stone farmhouse that was a hundred and thirty years old and probably needed some upkeep. Already in nineteen what, seventeen you said? Nineteen seventeen, yeah. It's a hundred years old? Yeah. Phew. Yeah. And it says that it may be far older. Than they think and date predates to medieval times. Folklore suggests that even an older structure had existed at that location, less than 300 yards from the house's current site. Now, also 300 yards from the house's site is a prehistoric burial mound, and they have found remains of a Bronze Age cairn circle and a Norse burial ground. So, it's old. Now, according to a website dedicated to preserving the Manx culture, and it's called Culture Venon, this area, the Darlish Kashin, has a reputation for supernatural occurrences, including stories of strange animals haunting the grounds long before the Irvings would purchase the property. Now, the Irving family began in 1931 sensing or seeing some signs of paranormal activity. And as uh, early as James's purchase of the house, he had seen some paranormal shit. (laughs) (laughs) Right before he actually moved into the home, he had hired, James had hired two workmen from Peel, located about nine miles from Darlish Cashin, to make repairs on the house. Now, the distance between necessitated, made it necessary that the workers would stay overnight in the old house. On the second night, James encountered the men leaving, heading back to Peel, explaining that they had had a small job to complete in their hometown. The workmen stated they would return in the morning. Nearly two decades later, Irving learned from the widow of one of the men that strange noises and an overall feeling of uncanny sent the pair fleeing from the house, never to return. Dun, dun, dun. Now, when the Irving's 12-year-old daughter, Vori, was sent into the fields to snare some rabbits for the family's evening meal, to her astonishment, she would find that the job had already been done for her, with several cleanly killed rabbits left for her as a gift from an apparently friendly ghost. 
Soon after, the Irvings began to hear strange animalistic vocalizations and rustlings emanating from inside the walls of their domicile. The Irvings noticed an animal that appeared to be a weasel in their farmyard in the autumn of 1931. Despite the presence of what would seem to be a notoriously vicious predator, the Irvings' chickens were completely undisturbed by this yellowish, bushy-tailed creature. Noting the strange barking, growling, spitting, and persistent blowing from within their walls, the Irvings determined that the animal had made its home somewhere inside the walls of the old house. Whatever it was, it was noisy. They would state that it had a pennant for mimicry. So late into the night, the Irvings were asleep and awoken by the the creature's strange noises. Now, in a letter that James actually wrote to Harry Price, a paranormal investigator, he describes shouting various animal and bird calls in response to the creature's vocalizations, which it would then repeat back to him. The animal, whatever it was, was also extremely clever. Soon, James had only to name an animal for the creature to respond with the corresponding sound. However, the unseen creature's nocturnal activities took a mm, frightening turn when it began (laughs) repeating a nursery rhyme sung by their 12-year-old daughter in a high, screechy voice described as being two octaves above that of an adult human. The creature proved to be no mere mimic when it began to intelligently converse with the family, calling them by their given names. The animal christened James Jack, and the creature corrected the farmer and insisted that his name was Jeff. So, to make sure everyone's following along at home, James decides to call this creature Jack. And I guess the creature's like, "Mm mm-mm, no, that ain't my name, bro. My name's Jeff. G-E-F. My name's Jeff. My name's Jeff. So the Irvings faced their uninvited house guests with a mix of fear and what-the-fuckery. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, (laughs) all of a sudden, something within your walls starts talking to you. That's uh, that's a recipe for what the fuck? <laughs> the Irvings would ask if this creature was a ghost, and Jeff would reply, I am a ghost in the form of a weasel. I shall haunt you with weird noises and clanking chains. Jeff told the Irvings, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet, and if you ever saw me, you would be paralyzed, petrified, mummified, turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> Well, okay then. He also, at other times, would claim to be an extra clever mongoose born in New Delhi, India in 1852. In one of his more extravagant moments, he proclaimed that, quote, I am the fifth dimension. I am the eighth wonder of the world. I can split the atom. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good for a mongoose. Jeff would take a liking to Vori, the 12-year-old daughter, and this made James extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, he, it's to the point where, like, uh, he would follow her around to the to the point where they let her uh, sleep in their room one night. 
And he made a statement of like, no matter where you put her, I will follow. No matter where she goes, I will be there. Something, something along those lines. Yeah, and he would begin to toss around household objects. And they got scared and stated, what if he started lighting matches? And so James decided to go to war with Jeff. <laughs> Armed with his hunting rifle, James set out poison bait, determined to rid his family of the increasing whatever the hell it is. <laughs> so Jeff was not pleased with this. He would thump loudly within the walls and screech obscenities, thus terrorizing the family. Hoping to keep Vore safe, James and Margaret moved Vore into their bedroom, much to the creature's consternation, like Coach had said. Oh, I skipped, I skipped ahead again. It's okay. I always do that, man. It's all right, man. I'm it's just right. so anxious, you know? Now, the battle of wills between Jeff and James raged on, and although he was a nuisance, the Irvings felt like that he meant no harm, even though he warned that his continued good behavior was contingent on their acceptance of him. If you are kind to me, I will give you good luck, Jeff said. If you are not kind, I shall kill all your poultry. I could kill you all if I liked, but I won't. <laughs> he also would go on to claim that this is my home. It suits me well. From the beginning, he had, uh, I guess, affection for them, like in a weird way. He called them his human friends. <laughs> And wanted to make sure that they understood that he was watching over Vore as her walks to and from school. And he would hunt the rabbits for the family. And in return, they fed and cleaned up after Jeff. Yeah, they would give him like bacon. I believe was his favorite food was bacon. Which, I mean, who's <laughs> who among us is their favorite food is not bacon. Bacon is wonderful. Yes. Jeff would also show his angry side, and he was extremely sensitive to questions about his species. He took issues with being called a weasel, and so he had to explain to the Irvings that he was an Indian marsh mongoose and that he had been born on June 7, 1852, near Delhi and had lived with a tall man who wore a green turban. He would frequently sing Indian folk songs and speak in Hindi. He would display childish personality traits and regularly followed young Vari, hiding in shrubbery and tall grass to avoid detection. And he would tell James that he would fight anyone who attempted to harm his child. Now, a young schoolboy classmate of varies, would learn the hard way. Jeff overheard a boy refer to Vary as the Dalby spook in reference to rapidly spreading stories about strange occurrences in the Irving's home. Incensed, Jeff threw a stone at the boy. As Vorey would mature in age, Jeff largely turned his attention to James, who he formerly referred to as Jim. He would credit James with teaching him to speak, although he claimed to have always been able to 
to understand, if not able to reproduce human speech. Jeff would keep James awake for hours with questions, and at times their conversations turned philosophical. According to another author, Nandor Fodor, James once asked Jeff where he expected to go when he died. The mongoose, with a shudder in his voice, responded, I'll never die. Jeff's relationship with the wife, Margaret, was a little on the edgy side. He would like to prank her, and he liked to watch Margaret um, undress, and he would loudly announce each garment that she removed. And he would tell her, I like you, Maggie, and I want you to like me. That's not creepy. (laughs) I mean... Who hasn't had a mongoose spy on them when they're getting nude? Yeah, and call out each article of clothing. I mean, who who doesn't have that? That's a regular. That's a normal thing for me, right? Yeah. I mean, is that is that not is that weird? Is that not <laughs> happening in other parts of the country? <laughs> now, Vori would go on to describe uh, Jeff as having a face similar to a hedgehog, but with a flattened snout, approximately the size of that of a large rat. His body was covered with yellowish fur, and he had a bushy tail. Any comparisons with a mongoose or weasel in there. However, instead of paws, Jeff was said to have had human-like hands complete with thumbs and three short yellowish fingers, terminating in sharp, curved nails. On one occasion, Jeff allowed Margaret to see and touch his unusual appendages through a crack in the wall. He also allowed her to place a finger in his mouth to feel his sharp teeth, Drawing blood and annoyed, Jeff suggested Margaret put ointment on it when she expressed her concerns about an infection. Now, James would go on to tell author Fodor of Jeff allowing the family to see his shadow by the light of candle held up to one of his hiding places. And this is James. Quote, I placed a saucer of stewed bilberry, sugar, milk, and bread on top of the staircase. Jeff ate and spoke to me while eating. He showed me the shadow of his front paw or hand holding the spoon. Then he rattled the saucer and blew out the candle. According to Jeff, he did not limit his, I guess, muses to the Irving's house. He claimed that he would travel all over Dalby and throughout the Isle of Man. And upon returning from his travels the weird creature would regale with James with the latest local gossip. Jeff was known to visit locations as far as 20 miles from the Dorlish Cashin. A sly observer, Jeff, is said to have had a low opinion of humans and their activities. Jeff's travels were not limited to just his little forays around Dalby. The weird animal claimed that he hitched rides on the undercarriages of buses in order to cover more distance and supposedly he almost lost his life when a vengeful bus depot electrician installed an electrified metal plate under one of the vehicles in hopes to killing him. When Irvin warned Jeff about this trap, the creature replied, Oh, I know all about it. It's under bus 81. (laughs) Like, meh, it's no big deal. (laughs) So tales of their famous spook spread quickly first across the whole Isle of Man and then throughout all of Britain. So journalists and paranormal investigators would descend on the Isle of Man trying to catch a glimpse or hear the voice of Jeff. 
Among them was the famed psychic investigator Harry Price. Initially, Price declined James's offer to visit Dorlish Cashin, sending his associate, Captain James MacDonald. Jeff, who allegedly told James that he took objection to the stranger's presence because he was a, quote, doubter, failed to appear during MacDonald's visit. However, he did hear the mongoose speak shortly before he left the Irving's home. Price would finally visit Dorlish Cashin in 1935 and documented his stay in The Haunting of Cashin's Gap, A Modern Miracle Investigated. And his memoir, Confessions of a Ghost Hunter, Price was ultimately unable to prove or disprove Jeff's existence, but determined that Irving's seemed to be very credible witnesses. Belief in Jeff had serious consequences for BBC Magazine editor and member of the British Film Institute Richard Lambert. According to a BBC radio documentary about the case, Lambert nearly lost his position on the prestigious film board through the machinations of Sir Cecil Levita, who suggested he was not mentally fit to serve because he believed in Jeff and interest in the paranormal. Lambert successfully sued for slander and was awarded 7,600 pounds. I'd say that's a good, that's a good haul. Uh, not bad. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, I'd take it today. The so-called Mongoose case also resulted in an inquiry into the treatment of BBC employees by management and redrafting of their policies. Now, there are some online photos of what they say are his hands, but mm, they just look like animal prints to me. Um, Yeah, and there's going to be another uh, photo that claims to show his human-like hands, but yeah, it doesn't really... um doesn't really add up, to be honest with you. Though I believe 100%. If you see the photo of the quote-unquote hands, and then you see the paw prints, doesn't. No. Doesn't really add up. Now, James would become seriously ill with pernicious anemia, and his illness marked a very large decline in Jeff's presence. So by the time that Harry Price had visited their home in 1935, the visits from Jeff had become extremely rare. Uh, James would pass away in 1945, necessitating that the family depart from Dorlish Cashin, and by all indications, Jeff did not follow them. The next person to inhabit Dorlish Cashin was Leslie Graham, and he was an Army veteran and confirmed skeptic. He would report no visits from a talking mongoose or any unusual activity in the house, or around the grounds. Graham trapped and killed an unusual animal in 1947 that he described as being neither a ferret, stoat, or weasel, while still having characteristics of those animals. However, corpse displayed by Graham was considerably larger than Jeff and was covered in black and white fur rather than the characteristic yellow hue described by the Irvings. Now, initially, James would tell people that he did not think that Jeff was a supernatural being, but he would eventually change his mind, believing that it was some sort of earthbound spirit. Although Jeff was extremely talkative, he was very tight-lipped about where he came from, and at times claimed everything was an, or I'm sorry, claimed that everything that he did was just that of an extra clever mongoose. He would also say that he was the Holy Ghost just to get a rise out of him. Now, there are like 
we said there's not a whole lot of evidence. There's some hair samples and supposedly there's some bite impressions from the Irving Sheepdog. Harry Price is on record stating that it, it will, that Jeff was either a supernatural manifestation or a hoax, but that the Irvings were not behind it if it was a hoax. Because there was no apparent motive and there was certainly no financial gain to the family. Price would go on to tell for 10 times that he felt like that Jeff was a shared delusion. Now, the author Nandor Fodor would conclude that Jeff may have been physical manifestation of a, I guess, a, what, a separate personality of James, um, specifically an embodiment of the frustrations and the mental starvation inherently in his lonely life at the desolate farmhouse. The daughter Vore would be suspected of having concocted Jeff as a hoax out of boredom, and locals would accuse her of providing Jeff's voice through ventriloquism. And Harry Price would again come to the rescue of the family, stating that that was impossible. Vore would speak about the Dolby spook throughout her adult life, and in a very rare interview with Walter McGraw of Fate, she opened up about her experiences at the Dorlish Cashin. And she stated, quote, Jeff was very determined and very detrimental in my life. It was not a hoax, and I wish it had never happened. Yes, there was a little animal who talked and did all those things. He said he was a mongoose and said he that, or I'm sorry, and said we should call him Jeff. I do wish he had left us alone. Unfortunately, Vare had died in 2005 and maintained until her death that Jeff was real. So, Coach, that's all I have on young Jeff. Do you have anything else to add? <laughs> well, since this is patient zero. Well, I have opinions about, you know, the reports about Jeff. It's very easy to say that he's going to be seen and heard from on many occasions without her presence. And to me, I don't know. I mean, when you look at the rest of the history of Jeff, she, uh, the, the young woman's going to move away. The, mo- the mother is going to move away, and it's just going to be Jim left there for several years when he is claimed to be in complete contact with Jeff. But eventually he is going to move away, and he's going to sell the land to a, uh, a, a famous actor. I can't find his name exactly, but it's going to be a Mr. Graham. I can't remember his first name. But he's going to claim that he actually shoots Jeff, shoots and kills Jeff. Yeah, that he would... They had said that whatever he killed was black and white, not of the mm-hmm. yellowish nature. But uh, Vjorin is going to claim until the day she dies that this was a actual factual event. This was not made up. This was not a hoax. And she, uh, in her last interview, she's going to say, yes, there was a little animal who talked and did all those things. He said he was a mongoose and we, that we should call him Jeff. However, I do wish that he would just left us alone. So my question would be, why hoax this if it pretty much ruins your life? Yeah, they gained nothing from it. So. They didn't gain. They, they 
financially, for sure, they didn't gain anything from this. And suffered ridicule from the people of the town. And then when the newspapers got a hold of it, they just swarmed them. And then all that negative press, really. Yeah. So the point would be, why make this up completely for essentially nothing other than embarrassment and ridicule? It reminds me of the story of the Alabama metal man. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to make something up like this just for shits and giggles when you're not benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. But and if we're going to get into our uh, our opinions, I mean, I, I really truly believe, I want to believe this so much so because it was my foray into the, the mysterious world. I just don't see why anyone would make it up. And... It was corroborated by several different people. I mean, there was many witnesses to at least the very, at the very least, his voice. Right. They heard his voice. And if they're going to claim that the daughter was a talented ventriloquist, is she able to to make her voice male? Yeah, and he would sing like three or like two octaves above what they described as something humanly impossible. But yeah, I don't see how she can. Especially a 12-year-old girl. You know, I just find that, I don't, I wouldn't say impossible, but just on the Isle of Man, are you going to have a 12-year-old girl that is a talented ventriloquist just to mess with her parents? Well, I mean, it went, it definitely went way beyond that. Yeah. I mean, if she's, if she got into it to trick her parents, I mean, she let it go way beyond the scope of what I would, I personally would let it go. I mean, he's writing famous paranormal authors. He's writing famous um, investigators, and they're they're coming out to yeah, and they're writing books. Yeah, they're making money off of it. The family's not. So yeah, I I, I don't know, man. I, I it's definitely definitely a head scratcher. What the fuck moment, <laughs> especially early, as early as it was into the. The paranormal activity, or I wouldn't say activity, as early as it was into people being, quote, paranormal researchers and investigators. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the story of Jeff, <laughs> the right. talking Amon Goose. My name's Jeff. <laughs> now we, uh, we'll get into our little recommendations, and... I'm going to actually recommend a website, and it is uh, darkideas, all one word, dot net. They have a ton of creepy shit and in mysterious cases, mysterious deaths, what disappearances. Is it? Say it again. Darkideas.net. Darkideas.net. I've never heard of that. Very well put together website. Um I found a lot of our research for our previous case, Gareth Williams, on that website. They do a very good job of trying to just give you the facts and let you draw your own conclusions. So if you are into true crime, paranormal stuff like you know you are, if you're listening to us too, uh, give them a little look up. What you got there, sir? I'm going to recommend a podcast called Dark Air with Terry Carnation, which is actually, um, oh, good Lord. What's the fucking dude's name? 
I don't know. From the office. Oh. Uh, Dark Air with Terry Carnation, which is actually um, Rain Wilson from the office. He's got his own mockumentary type podcast. It's really, it's really entertaining. And it's definitely, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, you would definitely enjoy theirs. His, rather. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we ain't got nothing else, so deuces.